the yearbook internet sportscast i'm doug i'm the host of this the movies i was referring to in last week's podcast we were talking about two fake professional teams from two different movies that should exist but don't but i couldn't think of the names of the movies that those teams were from offhand so we actually listed the names of those two movies in last week's podcast uh, podcast description, see below or off to the side, wherever it is on your gateway. But in case you didn't see that, we referred to the Denver Devils, who should be a real MLB team but aren't. You know we picked the worst possible time to say that since the All-Star Game was in Colorado, hosted by the real Denver team, Just like 48 hours ago. The Denver Devils should still exist. They're from the 1983 movie about a woman who plays Major League Baseball. It's called Blue Skies Again. And the Rock City Hurricanes are a fake NBA team that absolutely should be real. But they were made up for and were mentioned in a 2015 Hallmark Christmas movie of all things. 12 Gifts of Christmas is what that one's called. It's about a personal shopper. So back in the 2019 playoffs, the Astros' Jose Altuve hits a home run against the Yankees, but Altuve doesn't want his Astros teammates to remove his jersey in the bedlam of the celebration. And a lot of people cite that right there as evidence that Altuve was hiding something underneath his jersey. The speculation is that something was a buzzer that told Altuve what pitch was coming. And there's your Astros cheating scandal, at least part of it. This past Sunday, just a few days ago, the Astros' Martin Maldonado hit a home run against the Yankees, and as he rounded third, Maldonado tugged at his Astros jersey as if he were looking for a buzzer underneath it. Burn! Yankee fans are really savvy, so hopefully they don't get drawn into this. They and everyone else don't get drawn into this and don't respond with a firestorm of Astros rage. The Astros deserve all the booing and funny signs and t-shirts aimed at them, and fans should remember the Astros and keep it up. This is not about the cheating. The Astros cheated, and they and the subsequent investigation deserve the criticism. This is only about... You can't relentlessly pound the Astros with funny t-shirts and then get offended when they respond. What? How dare the Astros come up with a good comeback to all our cheating burns? They they can't do that. That's that's not fair. What part of life works like that? After you come up with a million good burns in a row, you can't be like, when the other person finally burns you back. Otherwise, you're stumped. And then the other person says, great comeback. Also, all these other players who are loudly killing the Astros hopefully aren't taking any meds or rubbing stuff on the baseballs or anything else that constitutes any kind of cheating in any way because then they would be the worst kind of hypocrites. So for their sakes... I hope the Astros were the only ones cheating, although we already know that just in the last six years, the Cardinals, the Red Sox, the Yankees, and an unnamed pitcher or pitchers also cheated. 
Uh, we are wholly unqualified to comment on this, but we keep commenting on it anyway. So, Prestige TV. You know, TV in 2020 and 2021. Prestige TV is not having a great COVID. Lots of stuff premiered, and there was good stuff. But to us, and this is only our opinion, and it counts less than your opinion, believe me. To us, the stuff that premiered, there was good stuff, but not great. And now the Emmy nominations, now the payoff. Just for example, not to single these out, HBO's Mayor of Easttown and Disney Plus's WandaVision each got a ton of nominations, including Outstanding Limited Series. They were both good, but those shows and the word outstanding should not be in the same sentence. The actors in WandaVision were amazing. It is not their fault. The acting was tremendous. But the series itself was more about, hey, look, it's the 50s, and hey, look, it's the 70s. Remember that? Than about being good. Although I will say, for as much work as they put into the look of the show, and they did, they, they tracked down old lighting. I believe they used uh, old-style lighting to not just shoot something and say, look, it's the 50s. I mean, they, they used old lighting. They used old colors and old setups to make the shows look authentic as possible. They put a lot of work into the look of the show. But still, despite that, the 1970s sitcom intro was unconvincing. It looked like... It just looked like an impersonation of an impersonation of an impersonation of an impersonation of what somebody else thought a show in the 70s looked like. Uh, in Mayor of Easttown, almost all the actors were outstanding. They were great. It was absolutely not their fault. But the show Mayor of Easttown was sloppy. So, according to the Emmys, those two shows make up 40% of the best series available anywhere and is Cobra Kai really a comedy that's what it was nominated for and is Emily in Paris one of the eight funniest comedies anywhere seven if you don't consider Cobra Kai a comedy there is nothing good well you know sometimes some of the quasi impersonation of an impersonation of an impersonation of an impersonation of France music some of it Sounds pretty good. But overall, there is nothing good about the thoroughly annoying Emily in Paris. Right down to the Cubs fans who don't seem that into the Cubs. Think of the most undeserving Oscar winner in history. And you have the equivalent of Emily in Paris getting an Emmy nomination. And then make the jokes uh, to fill it in. You can come up with something better than the weekend. Were the computers down? Was somebody owed an awful, awful favor? Now you come up with a good burn. I sincerely apologize, and I really do if you like the show. I like a lot of bad shows. I like trashy stuff, and I am not someone who needs arty award winners. It just has to be good. But nothing we mentioned that we just mentioned was awesomely entertaining. If you're too young to remember, TV used to have a rep as a junkyard. I would never do TV. That'll kill your career. Uh, notably, by the way, British actors were never afraid to do TV. Anyway, for the last bunch of years, TV slash streaming has become everything the movies now want to be. TV and streaming is the envy of everything else. But the stuff I just mentioned 
is the best media anywhere in the universe? Again, I like a lot of really bad stuff. But is Prestige TV coasting on its reputation? Coasting? Says in the yearbook at Hotmail.com. If you want to contact us, did I say Doug? I think I did. If we're talking the Seattle Kraken, we must be talking about an established NHL team that needs to offload unwanted salaries. The Kraken, yep, are an NHL expansion team. And one way the Kraken will build a roster from scratch, they need players. So one way that they build a roster from absolutely nothing is the expansion draft. Every other NHL team has to provide players for the expansion draft. All those other established teams will each protect around 11 of their most valuable players, but the rest of their roster will be unprotected and exposed to the expansion draft. The Kraken then have to pick one player from each team's list of unprotected players. So that's supposed to be bad news for established teams who will lose a valuable piece of their roster to Seattle. Except some teams are trying to turn it into good news. Those teams are at the salary cap, so they can't afford to keep all their current players. And under normal circumstances, other teams might not want any part of those expensive players in a trade. So they're stuck with those players, and they can't afford to spend any money. They have maxed out the salary cap. But if the Kraken take an expensive guy in the expansion draft, boom, that salary is now magically gone off the books, and there's now some money for that team to spend. The very close to the Stanley Cup Islanders have some salary issues, and they might go that route, hoping the Kraken will magically make a player and his millions of dollars disappear, freeing up some money for the Islanders to spend on an upgrade or even multiple new players. The champion Lightning are in worse shape. Tampa Bay has a lot of talent from top to bottom, and they are supposedly over the salary cap, meaning they don't have a choice. They definitely cannot keep everyone, meaning they might have to get rid of some very good players. This is known as salary cap hell, and it can be crippling long-term. It can be crippling to a team if you mismanage it for years. The Islanders' general manager, the current general manager, by the way, with one of his former teams, the Devils, he was in salary cap hell, and the Devils pretty much never recovered until they did briefly and then never recovered again. But anyway, it can be crippling for a long time. But Tampa's front office has been really savvy, and they could use the expansion draft to expose a player who's good but not great, and then the crack can take him, and boom, suddenly that salary is gone, and the Lightning can maybe get back under the salary cap. If that happens, Tampa would still likely lose someone valuable, and it seems like more of their salaries would have to go as well. They can't just get rid of all their salaries in the expansion draft. So more of their salaries would have to go as well to get under the cap. But it means the Lightning should keep their four world-class players and won't lose all their depth, and they'll have some room to spend and trade, etc. Of course, we assume, we don't know, but we assume the Kraken are at dumb, and they might covet when the, one of the Lightning's cheap players. And if they select that guy in the expansion draft... That's not going to help the Lightning's bad cap situation all that much. The expansion draft is next week. So in just a few days, we should know a lot more 
about the state of the Lightning and the Islanders. Uh, This podcast is for nurses and flight attendants, which we usually mention at the top, and real-life flight attendant T.J. Newman made big news. Actual flight attendant Tori Jan Newman, or T.J. Newman, got paid seven figures for a novel she wrote called Falling, which is a suspense novel about kidnapping and a heist and a plane. It's out now. Once T.J. Newman had the novel, we mentioned last week, 41 literary agents said no before the 42nd finally agreed to represent her. Those 41 other agents missed out on a bidding war for the movie rights to the book, which have already been sold. So, in honor, three totally true things about flight attendants and books. First, flight attendants and books are naturals. T.J. Newman says when the flights are long, there's only so many times you can serve beverages. There's only so many times you can make beverage rounds during a flight. So most flight attendants during long flights sit in their special seats and they read. She says flight attendants are mostly reading novels and trashy magazines, but they're big readers. Second, if you've ever been on a Virgin America Airlines red eye, from L.A. to New York, then you may have inspired this book. Uh, T.J. Newman told the New York Times that it was on that actual particular flight while watching the passengers that the idea for the book first hit her. No giveaways. We would have actually asked in that interview if she were sitting or standing when inspiration struck, but we don't know that. And third, the book was written exactly the way you might have thought it was written. On the long flights, during any downtime, T.J. Newman literally wrote out the book on bills and napkins with free hotel pens and then would actually type up the words back at the hotel. 